Welcome to The Veteran Doctor. This podcast is for anyone interested to improving their knowledge on veteran-centric topics. Veterans have dedicated their lives to serving our country, so now it's our turn to serve them as they transition back into their civilian lives. We have discovered that there is a lack of knowledge on the availability of resources and how to properly navigate the systems available to veterans when they transition out of the military service. This podcast's purpose is to help bridge this gap of knowledge and guide veterans to resources that they so deserve. The Veteran Doctor is hosted by Dr. John Heinzelman, who has a master's degree in sports and performance psychology and a doctorate in psychology where he specializes in research. He is also a retired Army Airborne Infantry veteran with 22 years of service. So sit back, relax, and enjoy The Veteran Doctor. morning veterans family friends welcome back to the 16th episode of the veteran doctor on this week's episode we will discuss veteran specific health issues we will also continue our fun facts of ubi useful bits of information and veteran news so stick around for the rest of the program hello fellow veterans i hope everyone's doing well now that we have been living with covid for over a year now Who would have thought this type of thing could have come to our society, our world, and make such an impact as it has today? Well, with all of these health-related challenges, what a perfect opportunity to discuss the challenges that face veterans daily that are health-related. Some of you are familiar, some maybe not so knowledgeable, but it's always good to stay up to date so that we can help other veterans through these challenges. The first topic I want to discuss is veteran-specific health issues, mental health and behavioral adjustment disorders. Medical records of veterans reveal that one in three patients have been diagnosed with at least one mental health disorder. 41% were diagnosed with either mental health or behavioral adjustment disorders. In compensation or combined with military-related diseases, many veterans develop substance abuse disorder SUDS, and a large number ultimately commit suicide. Also, the research found that male veterans diagnosed with depression and depressive disorders, heavy or binge drinking, and alcohol-related problems were significantly associated with an increased risk of suicide. Thus, identifying and treating mental health issues has the most significant potential to mitigate suicide risk. Unfortunately, reluctance to seek help or treatment makes diagnosing and treating mental illness difficult in this population. The next category is SUDS. The stressors of military service increase the risk of veterans having problems with alcohol, tobacco, and drugs. Cigarette smoking and alcohol consumption are higher among veterans than non-military personnel. For some veterans, treatment of a comorbid condition, e.g., PTSD, depression, pain, insomnia, may resolve this problem. The next category is PTSD, also known as shell shock or combat fatigue. PTSD results from witnessing or experiencing, directly or indirectly, a traumatic event. PTSD is a combination of symptom severity and duration. 
Diagnosis is based on four symptom categories. Intrusive symptoms, flashbacks, avoidance of reminders, isolation, negative thoughts and feelings, no one can be trusted, and arousal and reactivity symptoms, exaggerated startle response. PTSD is often associated with traumatic brain injury, TBI, military sexual trauma, MST, sleep problems, substance use, pain, and other psychiatric disorders and requires comprehensive assessment. Treatment is aimed at therapy, psychotherapy, prolonged exposure therapy, family group therapy, and others, social support, and or medications such as antidepressants. The next category is TBI. TBI is a traumatically induced structural injury and or psychological disruption of brain function due to external force. TBI can be classified as mild, moderate, or severe depending on the length of unconsciousness, memory loss or disorientation, or responsiveness of the individual following the event, i.e. are they able to follow commands. While mild TBI or concussion is the most common, diagnosis is difficult since symptoms include headaches, dizziness, problems walking, fatigue, irritability, memory problems, and problems paying attention. The next category is depression. Among the available data from the National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI, depression ranks among the most common mental health disorders. The diagnosis rated for veteran depression is 14%, although NAMI believes depression is underdiagnosed. Notably, NAMI found that individuals with PTSD are less likely to commit suicide versus those with depression, probably due to the increased awareness of acceptance of PTSD. Despite its devastating effects, major depression is a treatable illness with 80 to 90% success rate using medication, psychotherapy, and or electroconvulsive therapy. The next category is suicide. With 18 to 22 veterans committing suicide daily, risk assessment and intervention is paramount. Private and public health care professionals must be aware of patients' military history since not all veterans seek care in the VA clinics and must be able to recognize suicide factors regardless of age. Young veterans aged 18 to 44 are most at risk of suicide, yet it has been found that even older veterans aged 50 and older were still almost twice as likely to commit suicide versus non-veterans 69% and 37% respectively. Additionally, 11% of veterans who survive a first suicide attempt will reattempt within nine months and 6% of those will die. Evidence has been discovered supporting the efficacy of VA healthcare systems in lowering veterans' non-fatal suicide attempt rates. Thus, referring to a VA facility is recommended for appropriate counseling and health services. The next category is chronic pain. With 82% of OEF and OIF veterans reporting chronic pain, diagnosis and treatment is essential. A comprehensive assessment of pain is crucial and identifies associated physiological and biological and psychological factors since chronic pain is often associated with comorbid conditions, including TBI and PTSD, and may complicate treatment. Treatment should focus on concurrently addressing all needs with extreme cautionary use of opioid due to the heightened risk of veterans developing SUDS. The next category is amputations. 
advancements in medical technology and bodily protection allows soldiers to survive injuries at a higher rate than previous wars. Yet the scars from the traumatic amputation are deep, and many soldiers develop mental health injuries related to the event and in cases involving multiple limb amputations or disfigurements, body image issues may create various social and employment barriers. Healthcare professionals must be able to address these barriers and the emotional health of the veteran. Sensory aids, prosthesis, and medical rehabilitation require an interdisciplinary team approach to healing wounded soldiers. The next category is rehabilitation care. Many veterans have a hard time readjusting into society after deployment due to military skills that are not transferable to civilian life, body trauma that renders them individually handicapped, or more related mental disease. Rehabilitation care is aimed at balancing vocational, physical, social, and mental therapies to prepare veterans for re-entry into civilian life. Vocational programs help job-seeking veterans develop the skills and knowledge required for a particular job. Physical rehabilitation focuses on improving veterans' quality of life and independence. Social rehabilitation assists veterans to assimilate to non-military life and establish new ways of life post-deployment. Mental rehabilitation teaches veterans with mental health illness the living skills of community functioning, and the ability to deal with their new environment. The next category is hazardous exposures. Veterans past exposure to chemicals, Agent Orange, contaminated water, radiation, nuclear weapons, x-rays, air pollutants, burn pits, dust, occupational hazards, asbestos, lead, warfare agents, chemical or biological weapons, noise, and vibration increases their risk to health problems even years after the initial introduction. For example, long-term healthcare problems can be implicated in association with Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam veterans. For those who served in Iraq or Afghanistan, there's a significant data that have identified long-term health effects of hazardous exposure to pollutants such as burn pits and infectious agents such as rabies, despite the immediate side effects experienced by most veterans. Obtaining an accurate medical and deployment history is essential in providing accurate diagnosis and appropriate treatment. The next category is homelessness. It is estimated that approximately 49,933 veterans are homeless, which is 12% of the homeless adult population. Homeless veterans face the same difficulties as non-veterans such as substance use, unemployment, and mental illness. However, they are troubled with the additional burdens of military-related factors such as PTSD, TBI, and a history of multiple deployments and military skills that might not be transferable to the civilian work environment. The National Coalition of Homeless Veterans found that 51% of homeless veterans have disabilities 50% suffer from severe mental illness, and 70% have SUDS. The National Coalition of Homeless Veterans believes housing and employment opportunities are the top priorities for homeless veterans. In conclusion, currently there are approximately 22 million U.S. veterans. Preparing future health care providers to meet the needs of this extraordinary number of veterans is essential. 
providing faculty development in the area of veteran-specific health issues and how to integrate veteran content into protocols will contribute to improving veteran outcomes and providing excellent care to those who serve in this country. Additionally, the total enrollees of veterans who utilize the VA healthcare system is approximately 10 million, which is less than half the current total veteran population. Furthermore, about 61% of all separated OEF and OAF veterans have used VA healthcare. This indicates that veterans are primarily using civilian medical care facilities, further stressing the need that healthcare providers to be well-versed in veteran-specific health issues, war eras, and the reintegration issues veterans face so they are, can provide excellent veteran care and outcomes. Promotion and implementation of veteran health issues and other veteran content relevant to enhancing veteran care and outcomes are essential in healthcare provider education and are vital to the holistic care of veterans across the lifespan of the country. Programs targeting the enhancing veteran-specific knowledge of faculty and students will improve care for diverse veteran populations. We also must educate ourselves on other veterans on the available resources to meet their medical needs. I hope this week's information has helped improve your knowledge of health-related issues that veterans are challenged with daily. If you see or hear of a veteran experiencing any problems, reach out to them and point them in the right direction so they can get the help that they need.
right, welcome back. We are going to move on to the next part of our program, which is our UBI. Useful bits of information, or depending on your perspective, useless bits of information. The first question will be, question one, more than 3,500 service members have received the Medal of Honor. Which military branch has the most? Army, Navy, Marines, or Air Force? The correct answer is Army. The Army has by far received the most Medals of Honor, with more than 2,400 going to soldiers. Question 2. How many women have received the Medal of Honor? 12, 1, 4, or 9? The correct answer is 1. There has only been one female Medal of Honor recipient. Her name is Dr. Mary Walker, who volunteered to help the Union Army during the Civil War because she wasn't allowed to join as a surgeon. She received the Medal of Honor in 1865, but it was rescinded in 1917 because she was a civilian. The medal was restored to her name in 1977. Number three, only one president has ever received the Medal of Honor. Who was it? Dwight D. Eisenhower, Theodore Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, or Ulysses S. Grant? The correct answer is Theodore Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt served in the 1898 Spanish to American War as a Lieutenant Colonel of the 1st U.S. Volunteer Cavalry Regiment, famously known as the Rough Riders, who helped turn the tide of the war against Cuba to America's favor. He didn't receive, actually received the Medal of Honor, though, until more than a century later on January 16, 2001. Question four. More than one person has earned the Medal of Honor more than once. How many double recipients are there? 241, 4, 19, or 62? The correct answer is 19. 19 service members have been awarded the Medal of Honor twice as of 2020. 14 of them were two separate events. Question five, which conflict resulted in the most Medal of Honor recipients? The Civil War, World War I, World War II, or Vietnam? The correct answer is Civil War. There were 1,522 Medal of Honor recipients from the Civil War as of 2020. Often awarded posthumously, it was until 2014 when Alonzo Cushing was recognized for his efforts during the Civil War. Question six, what was the code name for D-Day? Operation Rolling Thunder, Operation Red Dawn, Operation Overlord, or Operation Desert Storm? The correct answer is Operation Overlord. Operation Overlord was the code name for D-Day when about 156,000 Americans, British, and Canadian forces landed on five beaches along the 50-mile stretch of the heavily German-fortified coast of France in the Normandy region. It was the largest amphibious military assault in history. Question 7. Part of the success of D-Day was the massive Allied deception operation. Where did they make Germany think they were going to land instead of Normandy? Dunkirk? Pas de Calais? Mayus Argonon? Or London? The correct answer is Pas de Calais. 
Coste Calais is where Germany thought Allied forces were going to land instead of Normandy. Many tactics were used in the deception, including fake equipment and Phantom Army, Army commanded by Ar Army General George Patton, double agents, and fake radio transmissions. Question 8. When the Allies landed on the beaches of Normandy, where, what were the code names they used for the five beaches? Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword? Or Utah, Omaha, Juno, Shield, and Silver? Or Terra Green, Victor, Charlie, Dog, and Fox? Or Abilene, Dallas, Baton Rouge, and Saratoga? The correct answer is Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword were the code names for the five beaches of Normandy where the Allied forces landed on D-Day. More than 13,000 Allied aircraft, 5,000 ships, and 156,000 troops successfully stormed the beaches that day. More than 4,000 lost their lives. Question 9. Who was the commander of the D-Day operation? Army General George Patton? Army General Dwight D. Eisenhower? German General Erwin Rommel? Or British General Bernard Law Montgomery? The correct answer is Army General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Army General Dwight D. Eisenhower was the commander of the D-Day operation. The future president was the supreme commander of the Allied Expeditionary Forces in World War II and gave the co-go-ahead for the massive invasion of Europe called Operation Overlord, which became known as D-Day. Question 10. In a 1782 report to Congress Charles Thompson, the Secretary of the Continental Congress, described the meaning of the colors used in the American flag. According to Thompson, Red represents valor. White signifies purity. What does blue represent? Sacrifice? Perseverance? Honor? Or the ocean between the U.S. and Great Britain? The correct answer is perseverance. America's founders meant the flag's blue field to represent perseverance, vigilance, and justice. That concludes our UBI portion of our program. We will now move on to our veteran news. And for this week's veteran news, we are going to talk about an article that doctors found jet fuel in a veteran's lungs, and he can't get full benefits for that, according to Michael McAuliffe on March 19, 2021. The lungs Bill Thompson was born with told a gruesome, harrowing, and unmistakable tale to Dr. Anthony Swema when he analyzed them and found the black spots scarring and partially combusted jet fuel and metal inside. The retiring Army Staff Sergeant had suffered catastrophic lung damage from breathing insinuated waste burned in a massive open-air pit and probably other irritants during his tour of duty in Iraq. There's black spots that are burns, particles all over, that there's metal. It's, it was all scarred, says Swima, who studies toxic exposures and examined Thompson's preserved lung tissue. There was no gas exchanges anywhere in that lung. Thompson is still alive, surviving on his second transplant set of lungs, yet the story burned into the veteran's internal organs is not one 
that has been entirely convincing to the U.S. government. The military has not linked the burn pits to illness. This means many of those who are exposed to burn pits and are sick do not qualify for benefits under any existing program. Retirement and health benefits for military members depend on facts like the length of service, active or reserve status, deployments to combat zones, and whether the, the military considers specific injuries or illnesses to service-related injuries. Thompson has been able to get care from the Department of Veteran Affairs for his lung disease, but is not able to secure other benefits like early retirement pay. Thompson is one of at least 3.5 million veterans since 2001 who have served in war zones where the U.S. military decided to dispose of its trash by burning it, according to the VA estimates. It's not clear how many people within the population have gotten sick from exposure. Only a small fraction, 234,000, have enrolled in the VA's online burn pit registry. Veteran advocacy groups have said that the majority of the claims to the agency stemming from toxic exposures are denied, even for most former service members report contacts to toxins in their deployments. Soldiers returning from tours in the war on terror have reported debilitating illness almost from the beginning, but got little traction from the military. This year though, the likelihood of congressional action is high with Democrats expressing interest and the president who suspects burn pits are to blame for his son's death. President Joe Biden's son, Beau, died from brain cancer in 2015 at age 46. He was deployed to Iraq in two sites where burn pits at Baghdad and Balad, where at the same time Thompson was at Camp Stryker near the Baghdad airport. Thompson, who is 49, said care for his lung disease is often slow and sometimes denied. It took the VA three years to approve his air purifier in his home to filter air out allergens, and the VA refused to help pay for the removal of dust trap carpets. Although Congress has done relatively little to deal with the burn pits, many members seem to at least think along the same lines. The Senator of Veteran Affairs hearing promising to do something on the kickoff of the year when lawmakers are poised to often slew a whole bunch of bills designed to confront the military's inability to care for its service members poisoned during the, the, their deployments. Make no mistake about it, said the committee chairman, Senator John Tester. We hold these hearings for two reasons, to gather information for the committee members and to help educate the VA on what they might take action before Congress does. At the hearing, conservative freshman Senator Tom Tuberville seems especially moved. We got to do a better job at taking care of our young people, Tuberville said. If we're going to go to war, we got to understand we got to pay the price for it on both ends. There's also likely to be a high profile support and attention when revised legislation starts rolling out in the spring. Thompson also states, hopefully after hearing my story, it will bring awareness to not only me, but others who are battling the same or similar injuries related to burn pit exposures from Iraq and Afghanistan. This concludes this week's veteran news. We'll move on to the next part of our program called shout outs. This section is reserved for recognizing new members of our podcast and partners or sponsors who support us in everything we do. We cannot continue this podcast without everybody's support. So thank you. 
And this week, we do not have any new members or partners or sponsors. So please listen to the next section of our program, talking about our podcast patron and sponsorship program. Do you want to be part of something bigger? Do you want to help veterans? Have you thought about helping the veteran doctor? As you may already know, the focus of the veteran doctor is to improve your knowledge on veteran-centric topics. The research and information dissemination process can be daunting with the maintenance of literature, books, websites, blogs, podcast episodes, and other administrative necessities. This ultimately takes time, resources, and marketing to reach and support veterans, as well as their very diverse needs. We are so excited about the process of podcasting and the potential impact it can have on the veteran population. To keep going and improve this podcast, we would tremendously be grateful to anyone who can support us in our expansion and growth. We are looking to enhance this podcast quality and would find it more manageable with a bit of support. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars a month worth of entertainment, we would greatly appreciate you investing in The Veteran Doctor. We offer different rewards for different pledge obligations, so please see what may fit your budget. Once again, we appreciate your support. And from all the veterans out there who benefit from this podcast, I'm sure they appreciate your support too. Every program must establish a goal and milestones to determine what is going to be done with the funding. The first goal we're going to reach is a monthly pledge of $500 collectively. The milestones are, number one, help pay for ongoing production costs, hosting fees for websites, blogs, and podcasts. Number two, help purchase rewards for patron supporters. Number three, offset marketing costs for websites, blogs, and podcasts. And number four, help buy new equipment and technology to improve podcast sound and quality. There are different rewards for each monthly donation amounts. The donation amounts range from $1 to $50 a month. The rewards include one or more of the following items listed depending on the level of monthly donation. Some examples of the rewards may consist of number one, a thank you on the show or website. Number two, a thank you email. Number three, early access to new episodes. Number four, show swag, t-shirts, bumper stickers, lapel pins, and a pen. Number five, a patron can read a short message on the show. Number six, call in as a special guest. And number seven, a patron can determine a show topic. So if you think you're receiving a few dollars worth of uh, entertainment, come on down and support The Veteran Doctor. As veterans, we have a lot of questions when it comes to transitioning out of the military. Or are you already out of the military and having trouble reintegrating? Are you having issues finding veteran resources? Or do you just want to learn more about veterans? Well, the Veterans Resource and Transition Guide may just be the solution for your issues. This book is available on Amazon.com and is in both ebook or paperback. It is a book written to help veterans with research, knowledge, and resources with their transition back into civilian life and beyond. Our society's current problem demonstrates that many veterans, as they transition out of the military, do not have the knowledge, training, or resources to reintegrate back into society properly. They do not know where to go, 
what to do, and do not even have a sufficient plan to survive. The purpose of this guide is to provide a one-stop and quick reference source of research, knowledge, and resources for veterans to easily reference to give veterans a better understanding of the dynamics of veteran issues, educate veterans on the process of transitioning out of the military, what to do once they get out, develop a plan, and provide resources to help make life a little easier during and after that transitional experience. Additional information has been added for our survivors' benefits for surviving widows and a Military 101 class to help educate the civilian workforce on military culture and lifestyle. The guide's additional intent is to make it a living document by taking input from readers and providers on information and resources, providing an annual update to veterans on the ever-changing and developing process of transitioning and resources. This guide will provide resources of knowledge to veterans, helping guide them through their transitional journey. So grab yourself a copy today and get those resources you so deserve. Do you want to learn more about me? Maybe you uh, want to learn more about my new book or future books. What about our new veteran blog? Do you want to learn more about the veteran doctor? Well, my website may be your solution. My author website is up and is available for viewing at www.johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. This site will provide you with the latest and greatest information on me, my latest literary works, future works, my veteran blog, and this podcast, Veteran Doctor. A unique feature available on the website is the Veteran Blog. The Veteran Blog provides veterans with the latest up-to-date information on veteran-specific topics that affect everyday life, whether challenging or life-enhancing. The purpose of this site is to keep veterans informed and help improve knowledge quicker and on-demand. Subscriptions are available in monthly, weekly, and unlimited access depending on the veteran's informational requirements. The feature of this site will include special features, video, classes, depending on the subscriber access level. Please check it out and try our seven-day free trial. So as this week's episode comes to a close, we hope you enjoyed the information you gained on The Veteran Doctor. Remember, we welcome feedback on this podcast to help improve our quality and content. Or if you have any new ideas, please send them to info at johneheinzelman.com. That's J-O-H-N-E-H-E-I-N-T-Z-E-L-M-A-N.com. I hope you come back and visit us on our next episode. So until next time, take care. Be safe and enjoy your week. Have a good one.